Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown with three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown. You get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at Wilmington and beaches vacation.com. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast, Monday, July 24th, and I lied. I'm sorry. I said that Steve Palazzolo would be back in the studio, in the building, in that three bill certified chair opposite me on Monday, and he's not. He's not here. So Trevor Sikama is instead. But Steve will be back on Wednesday and Thursday uh, this week. How's it going, Trev? Uh, it's going good, my friend. Uh, I wanted to make sure that I started off this podcast and not letting you off the hook by letting everybody who's watching and listening to this know that it is indeed your birthday. So happy yeah. birthday, my friend. I know there are people out there who don't want to, you know, they want to be very humble. You know, they don't want to, they don't want to say like, oh, you know, it's my birthday. You know, wish me happy birthday. And you seem like a humble guy, but I'll do it for you. I'll broadcast it for you. To say that today is your special day, my friend. It is great to be with you here on your birthday, and a happy birthday to you, indeed. Appreciate that, Trev. Uh, I have now reached the age that Danny Glover was in the first Lethal Weapon uh, movie, <laughs> which means I am now officially, as endorsed by Danny Glover, too old for this shit. And yet, here we go. Here we go. We continue on. So that's that's the reality of the world right now. I'm also officially the same age as Steve again, which means I'm inherently unhappy. <laughs> You know, it's funny, you saying that you're too old for this shit feels like a really good intro segue into what we're actually talking about here on this show because it feels like we've been talking about this certain topic for ages now, not even just recently, but it feels like over the last couple of years. So this is all coming together very, very nicely, and you love to see that at the beginning of a show. Look at that. See, that's why you're the like prime hosting talent over here at PFF. I'm just the guy moonlighting at it on the podcast while Steve's away, and I can't have you come in and host our podcast. That would be weird. No. But you're showing my inadequacies right now you're showing why you are the alpha talent when it comes to uh to hosting because you see the segues you got the whole thing mapped out in your brain just just connections happening left right and center it's beautiful to watch the great segue in the sky that's where i live <laughs> basically i'm just trying to find I'm just always trying to find that next segue but as you say we are uh, we're going to talk a lot about this uh running backs thing again today because it's not going away the uh 
the running backs are digging in. They they want recognition. They want more money. They want a lot of things, apparently, um, most of which the NFL does not appear particularly keen to give them. So uh, we'll get into that. We haven't really heard your take. Uh, me and Steve talked about it a little bit right up top at the start of last week's show, I think, before it became really a big thing. Um, so we'll get into that. We've got a few emails come in as well. A lot of them are relevant to uh, shows or segments that you and I have done in the past as well. So I want to get your take on those. But first, we've got to tell everybody about uh, Fabric by Gerber Life. Um, parents, it's no secret that you have people who rely on you. Uh, do you have life insurance so they're protected? Don't wait until it's too late. With Fabric by Gerber Life, you can help protect their future right now and provide them with the financial security they deserve. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. You could go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies, policies, woof, that's a rough one. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Okay, Trevor, the running backs... Uh, collectively, what is appearing more and more like a union now, held a Zoom meeting, apparently, as organized by Austin Eckler, chief uh, chief upset person, I guess, when it comes to this whole running back dynamic. So, all right, what are your general thoughts right now as to what they're complaining about, right? Which appears to be the, the, the fundamental basis of it. We're underpaid. We're not getting enough money. Give us the love. So... It's just very strange to look at running backs as a whole, be one of the lower paid positions in the NFL. Cause for the longest time, like running backs were fan favorites, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you go back even early two thousands, like everybody's favorite player on their NFL team was probably the running back. And it was just, it was a position that had a lot of fame, a lot of hype, a lot of fandom around it. And now all of this, a sudden it's not like these guys are less talented today than they were 10, 20 years ago, certainly, you know, 30, 40 years ago when they were truly running the sport. It's just that there's so many of them. And to me, that's what this conversation boils down to is not the fact that these guys don't have value. It's not that they're not talented. It's just that there's so many talented backs. A lot of times, think about this. When I'm doing summer scouting research for any position for an upcoming draft class, I'm going through it right now on the NFL Stock Exchange podcast, I'll get to like edge rushers. And if you go back far enough in their football background, guess what they started playing when they started playing football? Running back. If if you are athletic at all, you're probably going to get a shot at playing running back early on in your career in peewee football, middle school football, junior varsity football, whatever it is. And if you're really good, you're going to stick with that. So because running back position is the default 
upper echelon athlete position when you are coming through the game, that just means that if you're still really good at it, you're always going to get a shot at that position. And that has created a massive pool of talented running backs from high school to college to now the NFL level. And you get to this point where we talk about monetary value in a open capitalism supply and demand kind of environment that the NFL operates under. And the market is, of course, going to go very far down because the supply is so far ahead of the demand. You look at quarterback, right? And you say to yourself, okay, how come all the quarterbacks make all this money? Well, yes, it's because the quarterback position is the most important position in the game, but it's also because the gap in talent between tier one and even tier five in the NFL is so exponentially different and greater on the tier one side that this it's the scarcity of talent that puts that value up. So for running backs, the reason why I'm introing kind of my thoughts on it by saying that is because a lot of people were angry on social media. And I'm not one of these people who likes seeing running backs get underpaid. I want all these guys to make as much money as possible. It is a multi-billion dollar industry. There is so much money going around. These guys could absolutely make more money for the sport that they champion and thrive and help make a worldwide game and all that stuff. But the league exists under a salary cap format. And with that being the case, with as much talent as there is at the running back position and so not just within teams, but even guys who aren't on teams. That makes it really difficult for me to think that anything's going to change. All of the suggestions that I feel like I saw last week, uh, and we can run through them and we can break down some of them because I don't think any of them really hold a lot of value. The one that I saw that people were liking initially was okay, well, what if we made running back contracts in the draft only two years or three years instead of like the four-year or five-year option? But then you think that's going to make teams want to pick running backs more? No, it's probably going to hurt them. So instead of becoming second and third round picks, running backs are probably going to become fourth and fifth round picks, and then that hurts their rookie contract. Um I saw Dominique Foxworth talk about this, and I, I don't fully understand it because it was a new concept that I had heard. But he talked about how there is money in, believe it's an escrow account, where if you if you play above your rookie contract, so yeah. like if you play better than what your rookie contract is paying you, right. they take this money from escrow and pay you for it. But then again, people are saying like, oh, just like do that with running backs. Where do you think the money in escrow comes from, at least as far as I understand? Because are owners just going to voluntarily put more money into an escrow account to pay running backs? No. If they felt like they should do that, they would just do that in their regular contracts. So I don't think that that really solves it either. The The biggest problem to me that this faces is... It's a running. It's a it's a one position specific problem, right? Running backs are getting screwed relative to every other position. And I had a little right. back and forth with friend of the show Mina Kimes on Twitter about this. It's possible to feel sorry for running backs, you know, empathize with their plight, and all of these guys on the Zoom call, like, you know, there's going to be a kind of degree of um, 
mocking done that they're all unionizing on Zoom, getting this done. Like, I, I get it. I understand why these guys are frustrated, and I do feel sorry for them. I think as a position, they are getting hosed right now because it's as physical a position as exists in the NFL. It's as attritional a position as exists in the NFL in terms of, like, how hard they have it. They have it as hard as any position in the NFL physically, and their value is going down relative to any other position. Like So by definition, they're kind of getting hosed here, and you can feel for them, but you can separate that, I think, from saying, well, this is a fundamental wrong that shouldn't be happening because from data, from information, it is a position that has been overvalued in the past, and the market is correcting within this closed environment of the salary cap. And where the difficulty comes is saying, well, okay, let's fix it. They're, they're getting underpaid. Let's make sure they get more money. If the NFLPA wants to come out here and fix this, they have to devise a solution that is applicable only to running backs. And the NFLPA already has its hands full just trying to argue things that are helpful to all of the players. Like, mm-hmm. you can make a pretty compelling argument that the NFLPA has lost in terms of negotiations to the NFL with, you know, almost every subsequent CBA. Like, they don't get everything they want. They miss out on certain things. They get this franchise tag stuck on the league, all these things. And that's while trying to make things better for everybody. They're not going to you know, sacrifice something significant for every other position to get like a specific running back carve out done somewhere, which is what I think probably needs to happen in order to fix anything. So that's their single biggest problem that they're facing, in my opinion, is that any solution to this that I've seen suggested necessitates a one position carve out, which I don't even, I just never see that getting on the agenda in terms of negotiating because that's not what the NFLPA does. Yeah, because again, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to make it clear, I'm not trying to keep running backs down. I, I don't want that to be the case. I think you and I are very much on the same page. It sucks watching a position that takes so much of a beating in a very physical and violent game. These guys can't get rewarded really for their talents because when you look at the timeline of running backs, let's talk about before NIL, right? Mm. High school football, you ain't getting paid. College football, okay, people can say, yeah, you're getting paid under the table to come to that school. But still, you're not really getting paid contract-wise, or at least anything that's out in the open negotiable, right. to be able to make money off of what – real money off of what you're doing at the college level. And then when you get to the NFL, you get drafted, and certainly in today's age, it's a – capped controlled contract that you get as your first contract even if you're a first round pick all the way down through seventh round pick so essentially you don't even get to negotiate what you're worth until that contract is up which you're probably 24 25 26 years old at that point you've probably been playing the running back position since you were 12 years old so you've probably been playing it for over a decade so many carries so many hits so much mileage if you will on the tires and that's the first time that you can really negotiate what your talent's worth and oh by the way the way that contracts work is teams aren't looking to reward you for what you already did they're looking to pay you for what you're about to do so knowing that the average nfl career for a running back is is so much shorter than it is for other positions because of the physical toll that you take yeah, that timeline really sucks for running backs. But I I just don't know. I hope we find a great solution someday. I don't know what that is right now with things structured the way that it currently is. With the salary cap existing in the sport, 
and with supply and demand being the motivating factor for where a lot of these contracts go. It's because there's just too many good running backs. There's just too many good running backs out there. It's a bit of a cop out and it's not necessarily a good solution, but I do think that inadvertently um, NIL is going to help a lot of this. Like the biggest sort of wrong that I think you can identify is that college athletes don't get paid, right? And running back has probably the lowest average age of peak, you know, peak performance, peak uh, years yes. that any other position has. So unlike every other position where like their best years are going to be in the NFL where they're getting professional money and they're maximizing income potential, you could argue pretty strongly that a running back's peak years actually take place at least cross over into his college career. So if that guy's got to play and burn three years during college when he's not getting paid, that's where part of the problem arises, right? And if he has a short NFL career, you can argue that guy spent three of his prime years essentially working for nothing and then never got to uh, capitalize on that potential. Whereas NIL, where there are potentially bigger stars anyway at the college level, would let that guy earn money during those peak years. Like one of the things I've seen suggested that I don't hate as an idea is running backs could be allowed to enter the draft before other positions. Like running back in this, the, the problem is running hmm. backs peak years are earlier, right? So let's allow them reach put, uh, professional potential earlier. Adrian Peterson could have walked from a high school football field onto an NFL field and immediately been one of the best NFL running backs. But he had to burn three of his best years at Oklahoma before he could even enter the draft. Like, let's just take that away for the running back position because it's the one position where it's basically regularly applicable. That I don't hate. Now, that is an idea that as I... Because I agree with you completely. Something that I was going to bring up is the best short-term solution here and shoot it might just be the only solution because again i think a lot of us talk about this running back conversation and um like you did right there you call it a problem right i, I don't really know if it's a problem like it's a problem for these guys personally obviously because they're trying to get paid as much money as possible and again i would love for that to be the case with them but this is it, it is a supply and demand system. It's so I don't reality. know if it's a problem necessarily, yeah. right? It's kind of like things are working the way that they're supposed to work. So it's unfortunately somebody's getting screwed in it. But again, that's kind of like a business thing. Now, I, I'm morally right. That's like a totally different conversation right. here. We're, we're, it's, it's, it's tough to really quantify and really talk about that. NIL is going to help though. And especially with the transfer portal being wide open now where you don't have to sit a year, you get to transfer and start right away. I think running backs now have an opportunity to, okay, maybe you go to a big school and if, you know, maybe you go to a big school and you get some NIL money there, but you're not really playing, you're not really helping yourself get to the pro level. Maybe you could transfer to a little bit smaller of a school, be a major, be a big fish in a small pond somewhere else for that. Maybe get some more NIL money in that case. At least that can help. I think the idea of letting running backs declare early is very intriguing but it's sort of to me a pandora's box thing because sure. then what are the stipulations that you have on that position and what is stopping 
the number one overall recruit, Arch Manning, coming out of high school, not playing college football, labeling himself as a running back, sitting and redshirting <laughs> for one year, and then going in the draft and going number one because you know he's going to play quarterback, right? right? So it's kind of one of those things where I love the idea in principle. How would you make it so it's not being completely manipulated to the point where you're basically just getting the top 50 overall recruits in every recruiting class saying that they are an athlete right. slash running back? So they can declare after one year instead of three. I don't know, right? Yeah. That's that's something that would be another problem that you might have. I think, it, I think as a result of the solution, no, it, it would be messy. I think you could potentially do it based off you know playing time, snaps in a certain position or whatever. But it's definitely messy. Like there's no clean solution to this. If there was, it probably wouldn't be a thing. But I, I'm with you that it's very difficult to sort of label it as something that definitely needs to be fixed because for because it is. It is market forces at work. It is the league deciding that this position is less valuable than certainly than it used to be. And then a lot of people think that it is now largely running backs. Like when you look at the kind of group of people that object to the current situation, it's all the running backs in the NFL who mm -hmm. feel they're underpaid. And mm -hmm. a couple of people who are like, oh, running back is the most valuable position in the NFL. These guys carry franchises, right? Which... This is the way people used to talk about running backs in the late 90s or the early 2000s. And I would say that most people with a modern understanding of how the NFL works simply don't think that way anymore, at least not until it comes to throwing out a soundbite and saying, oh, these guys are underpaid. What's fascinating to me is something you mentioned before, which is it, it, it's sort of the way the game dynamics work at each level of football is it actually creates this glut of running back talent because the lower down you go the more important running back is as a position it's not that running back is not important ever in football it's that at this level specifically the nfl running back is not the primary driver of winning and losing it's not even necessarily the primary driver of rushing success like naji harris shows you that right if the running if the run blocking is bad doesn't matter how good the running back is if he's a first round superstar out of the SEC in Alabama, he's not going to be able to carry it in his back. That doesn't work in the NFL. But if you put him in a high school team, Najee Harris will carry whatever group of like no hopers on the offensive line to 2,000 yards and 20 touchdowns. Like That's the way the game works at the high school level is to just put your most superstar athlete at running back and let him go to work. Even at the college level, it's closer to that. Like There's a reason that Reggie Bush is maybe the greatest college superstar of all time and in the NFL was pretty good and maybe a better slot receiver than he was a running back because his highlight reel in college doesn't work in the NFL. You can't mm -hmm. just like run around until you find a gap and then break it off for 65 yards. NFL defenses are too good. They're too good. They're too disciplined. They're too um, expert at keeping you bottled up and stopping you do the thing that you did all the way through college and all the way through high school. So that's the problem here is that Millions of guys, like all the best athletes, play running back lower down. And then in the in the college level, they're still arguably the driving force behind a lot of these teams. You then reach the NFL, and it just doesn't fly. And now, in a salary cap system, you've got to dedicate the money to the offensive line to make sure they have a hope. You've got to make sure the passing game is functioning. You've got to make sure all these different areas have their money. And then you're sort of left looking at the, 
what's left in the picture. And you're like, well, why do we want to spend the money on the running back at this stage? We've like fixed everything else so that anybody can make the yardage behind this system. So I'm kind of where you are in that on a personal level, it sucks for running backs, but I'm not actually sure what's happening is a problem that needs to be fixed. Like sometimes things just suck, but it's the way it is. Like it doesn't necessarily mean things need to be fixed. And again, I don't know if fix is the right word, right? right? Like un- unless you think, and maybe maybe you do, like if, if you think the NFL shouldn't have a salary cap, like if you think this the, the NFL should be like baseball, no salary cap, like whatever, then okay, then I, you, you have an argument. If you're trying to abolish the whole salary cap, then maybe you have an argument there. But even if you abolish the salary cap, the overall number that running backs would get paid would go up. Right the percentage of the pie would probably be kind of similar because again it's always going to come down to it's operating like a market and it's not that running backs aren't talented it's not that these guys don't impact the game it's just that there's so many good ones to me that's the biggest problem the only way it's just like the market in in any other sort of business when supply and demand goes up and down that's when you see things change there is no supply issue with running backs now of course you could sit here and say to yourself there's only one christian mccaffrey there's only one saquon barkley and i would agree with you these guys are the top of their talent for a reason but how far is the drop-off between them and what would be a middling pro back? Of course Saquon is better than a lot of these medium-tier running backs. But how big's the drop-off? That's the problem. You know, you go to the other portions of the game. I mentioned quarterback. What's the drop-off between tier one of quarterbacks and a middling quarterback? A lot! A lot! And that's why you pay the extra money you give a bigger chunk of the salary cap pie to that quarterback. Because not only do you love what they can do for you, you're scared of what's coming next. And the problem is, well, again, I see I'm using the word problem, and I don't know if it's a problem. NFL teams aren't afraid to lose some of even the most talented running backs in the NFL. They're just not afraid to lose them. They'd be terrified to lose their quarterback. They'd be terrified to lose their franchise left tackle, their star edge rusher, their best wide receiver, uh, the difference-making tight end, like whatever it is, because there's not a overabundance of supply of those players who can even give them replacement play. That just, it's not the same conversation with running backs. And unfortunately, it's bringing the guys at the very top down. And it's a glaring difference for what we're seeing at so many other positions, because as the, the league makes more money every year, as the salary cap continues to go up, a lot of these other positions are growing exponentially, percentage-wise. Running backs aren't, because no matter how high the salary cap is going to get, there's always going to be good running backs who are waiting, just trying to get their chance. You know, Philip Lindsay obviously like is right. a, a, like a great example of that. Goes undrafted, comes in two back to back one thousand yard seasons. Now he's out of the league. Like how? Like it's just how does that stuff happen? It's because there's so many backs that can unfortunately pick up the slack in a position that often gets hurt. Right? Because that's an issue too. Yeah, is that for a lot of other positions in the NFL? You don't necessarily 
give the guy waiting in the wings a chance to prove himself unless you get hurt. Running backs, we already mentioned, a position that has such a physical toll that you are often missing games. By nature, this position allows you to get a look at the guy who's behind you, and he's often pretty damn good. So it it just feels as though every way you talk about the current market ecosystem and then talk about running backs within it, it is not going to spit out a formula that has you doling out some really big money to these top guys. And again, it's not because they don't impact the game or they're not talented. Right. There's just a lot of other factors that go into smart money decisions. And I say this all the time. Teams will lie to you about a lot of stuff, right? They'll have rose-colored glasses at how they look at their team. They'll be incredibly optimistic. They'll only speak positive things about the players that they have on their roster or the guys that they draft. They will tell you things here and there, but where teams will not lie is with their money and with their draft picks. And that's, I think, when you see the truth come out about how they value a lot of these different positions. The injury thing, I think, is important because... That I think that's why the current, but what set this off was the franchise tags, right? Three guys mm-hmm. on a franchise tag, not one of them got a long-term deal before the deadline. And if we were, if we rewound a month ago and we were sort of saying, what do you think teams should do? I think certainly this podcast would have said, play out the tag, like let them play the one year on the guaranteed deal and then let them walk. Don't give any of these three guys the giant Zeke Elliott contract like and that's this is this is what's driving it right is that almost all of the last big money you know uh, veteran deals to running backs have collapsed in failure almost immediately Todd Gurley Zeke Elliott David Johnson uh, Le'Veon Bell like all of these big deals were disastrous for the teams that signed them and that's what they're pulling back from it's like anybody that comes along that has even a slight like hiccup in his career somewhere. So Saquon Barkley, amazing last year, but he's been injured. He's not necessarily carried the team on his back outside of last year. Like if you're the Giants, you're looking at that and saying, like this could be Todd Gurley 2.0. Do we want to give him that contract? No, let's play him on the franchise tag and let's see how it plays out. Like maybe it doesn't mm-hmm. back up from a year ago. So that I think is what's driving this whole thing. So the move right now appears to become as a team let him play out his rookie deal, sign him to a franchise tag, play out one more year at a relatively cost-controlled amount, and then let them walk and do it over again, right? And reboot and run the risk that you can replace that guy either in the draft or, you know, as a much cheaper free agent, whatever it is. But if you're a running back, you are a position where the one-year franchise tag injury risk is a lot more serious than it is for other positions. Like, if you're a cornerback, you know, who gets a franchise tag slapped on him. You're not particularly terrified, I wouldn't have thought, of the, the career-ending injury essentially happening the next year, the thing we always used to hear about with the franchise tag. Oh, you get injured and then your career's done. If you're a corner, eh, you're probably not you know, that concerned about that. If you're a running Depends back, Depends what though, injury. You know, right. if you hurt, if, you know, if you rupture your Achilles or something. Of course. Then, uh, it's always the thing. But, but generally, I would say as a run, as a corner or any, you know, wide receiver or whatever, you're probably not terrified of that as a prospect, right? You're like, I'll take the 10 million and for them, it's a lot more. So I'll take the guaranteed money and I'm fine. I'll, I'll bet on myself and the next year I'll get paid. As a running back, though, you're looking at that and saying, 
A, it's a year in and in this running back career and lifespan, that's a long time. And B, the prospect of me picking up an injury that materially affects that next contract is a serious one. Um, so that, I think, is the thing that's driving this whole dynamic. And I want to talk about the franchise tag in a second, but just circle back around to Christian McCaffrey because I think he's a really good case study of how complicated the dynamics of play here are. Generally speaking, we are sort of saying, look, running backs are not the primary driving force behind their own success, right? They are dependent on a bunch of other influencing factors like the blocking, like what the offense does generally, all this kind of stuff. But it's not to say that they don't affect it at all, right? And Christian McCaffrey is a great example of that. He goes to San Francisco, and Kyle Shanahan clearly covets the talent that Christian McCaffrey can add above and beyond the never-ending list of running backs that Shanahan is able to plug in and get immediate success from. Now, it's not as simple as saying, well, look at the 49ers offensive success once McCaffrey arrived, because that also basically tallies with the moment Brock Purdy started starting as well. So it's, there's always a confounding factor involved. But the point being, McCaffrey can come on to an offense that's already cooking and make it look amazing. On the other hand, there's quite a large body of evidence. I don't know exactly where this ended up by the time he left, but let's say at least half the time in Carolina, there was evidence that said that offense got better when he wasn't on the field. Like, arguably the best running back in the NFL, the Panthers had more success when he wasn't in the lineup because, not because, like, they, you know, every, like McCaffrey was dragging them down, but because the other things weren't as good as they needed to be for him to maximize, like, how good he could be and force-feeding everything through McCaffrey was making the overall um, efficiency of that offense worse. So McCaffrey is this amazing example of how complex the dynamics are and basically saying unless you have an amazing situation, the running back probably isn't worth investing the money in because you're better off fixing something else in the offense that isn't firing on all cylinders. Yeah, running back has just become – for the most part it, it, it's not this heavily emphasized you build an offense around this position kind of a thing i feel like it's operating at its best when it's used as a really important complementary piece right where you have your passing game really solidified and then you're certainly running the ball in order to balance out the offense keep the defense honest those are important things right some of the smartest offensive minds in the league and around the game of football will still tell you like yeah, you got to be able to run the football and you got to be committed to handing the ball off to the guy out of the backfield because yeah, there's a lot of factors that go into it. You could tire out a defense, you could get you keep a defense from really selling out to defend the pass. You you create a lot of those lighter boxes, you know, some of those issues that we saw with the Los Angeles Chargers and what Brandon Staley was doing, right? We saw that opposite where running the ball against them became very, too easy. Of course, when you were just handing the ball off to a running back, you think that the odds of turning the ball over are a lot lower than they are when you are throwing the ball out of your hand and letting it fly in midair in like a neutral position, right? So turnover is very important, but it's not, you still want to build your offense around the passing game. When you look at even just like EPA per play, it's it's such a points added when you pass the football than when you do when you rush the football so you need to be building your game around that and i i feel as though McCa like even mccaffrey is being used at his best when 
you're using him as a complementary piece on the ground to the passing game, but then you also get him involved in the passing game, right? So you allow him to be that great receiver for you, you know, go out in the slot, go out to the sideline, use him on swing passes, get him matched up against linebackers who have no chance keeping up with his quickness. And so that to me is, is where I think the conversation and a lot of people who are getting really mad about it on on Twitter and social media, which I kind of think our fans are saying like, how could you not, how could you not like pay these guys? Like they're such an integral part of of the offense. They are a a part of the offense. I do think it's a critical part of it, but it is still to me a complimentary part versus what the passing game is. And so when you, yeah, when you look at the Carolina Panthers, Panthers do not have the passing game to actually get the most efficiency value out of Christian McCaffrey because their passing game was so poor that they thought to themselves, we've got to get the ball in McCaffrey's hands all the time. So they're sitting here handing the ball off to him, and all of a sudden their EPA per play as a team is just going further down and down and down and down and down because you don't have that explosive ability like you do naturally when passing. If the Panthers' passing game was a lot better, a lot more efficient, all of a sudden, I don't know if we're, how much we're complaining about McCaffrey because then McCaffrey would look like a fantastic compliment. Then you are rounding out the team. And so, again, the value, what they can bring to the team, it's all still there. It's just much more of a complimentary piece in today's football than it was a takeover identity offense at the pro level, if you ask me. Yeah, we'll, we'll, I want to talk about just the last bit to put a bow on this, the franchise tag in a second. Um, but before we get into that, running backs are still key when it comes to fantasy. If you want to get into the fantasy action but sick of managing your roster, sick of injuries ending your season, with Best Ball and DraftKings, you get the best of your team all season long. This year, Best Ball and DraftKings is bigger than ever with $10 million in guaranteed cash prizes up for grabs. For a limited time, you can join DraftKings' largest best ball contest ever and get your first entry back in DraftKings dollars as soon as the draft is finished. Act now before this offer expires. To start playing best ball, download the DraftKings app, use code PFF, enter the DraftKings Best Ball Millionaire Contest, and snake draft your team for the season. Each week, you'll automatically rack up points from all your top scorers. No ads, drops, trades, or I should have played them. Instead, team with the most or teams with the most points by the end of the season will have a shot to take home the one million dollar top prize. So, what are you waiting for? Head to the DraftKings app and sign up with the code PFF and start playing best ball today. Join the DraftKings ten million dollar best ball tournament, and you'll get your first entry back in DraftKings dollars only on DraftKings with the code. PFF. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. One per customer. Opt-in required with $10 entry fee. Bonus issued is 10 DraftKings dollars. Age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void were prohibited. See DraftKings.com slash promotions for details. Ends August 9th, 2023. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. 
You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great, you'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Um, so one of the pieces of news surrounding this whole running back franchise tag drama is that the Giants signed James Robinson at running back whilst uh, Saquon Barkley is over here uh, appearing on podcasts saying that he could basically not show up, not, not you know, sign his franchise tag, just screw everybody and say, I'm, uh, this is my worth. You'll get to see it. Um, do you think, so number one, is that a real show of intent for the Giants or is that just, you know, standard roster construction moves before camps, all that kind of stuff? And number two, one of the moves I can see that actually might potentially happen on the horizon, albeit not for a number of years, is do we simply lose the franchise tag? Because that's a thing that the NFLPA should want across the board for every position, and -hmm. it helps running backs more than any other position. Um, Do we simply get rid of the franchise tag and say running backs get to hit free agency a year early and can't be locked to this onerous single-year deal? Yeah, I mean, to the James Robinson thing, I mean, you're just always trying to make your team better, right? I mean, I I don't think... I don't think we can listen to coaches say every single year, well, yeah, we're bringing guys in because we want to we want to form the best roster that we possibly can and then all of a sudden like take offense when they're doing it just because <laughs> another player is kind of in a contract negotiation. Now, does it have to do with Saquon Barkley? Yeah, of course it does. <laughs> like, yes. Um, but I, I don't think that's something where you could look at it and say like, oh, they shouldn't be doing this. Sure they should. Uh, they're trying to run an NFL team and put the best roster they can together. The franchise tag part is very interesting to me because as far as I know, there's no sort of like there's no sort of like injury payout from a franchise tag beyond the year that you're signed for, right? It's almost like if you get hurt on the franchise tag, well then like tough. Right. You know, your your contract's fully guaranteed. You get that full franchise tag, but nothing really after that, right? There's nothing as far as I'm concerned, or as far as I know, that um that has that. I don't know if they're going to be able to totally get rid of the franchise tag because now that it exists, owners and general managers and everything are going to say, well, hold on. Like, that's a key part of our offseason strategy, being able to utilize the franchise tag and how we manage the roster and all that. So I don't think you're going to be able to completely get rid of it. I do certainly think that that obviously helps running backs. But I wonder if there isn't a reality where you can almost create an injury insurance tail with positions that go through more injuries. So running backs, I would think, would then be basically near the top of that list as a as a position that gets beat up a lot. So what if it became a situation where because running backs get hurt the most, they have the biggest tail, injury tail, on the back end of a franchise tag where you get paid the franchise tag money, but then let's say you suffer some sort of injury. I don't know. I'm, I'm literally just thinking of this in my head right now, so I haven't totally ironed out the details of the idea. But let's say you suffer a major injury. Then not only the next year, but the year after that, you also get paid money. Now, it's not like the full franchise tag money. It's not like they owe you, say, they're making $10 million a year on a franchise tag. It's not like you then get $10 million in each of the next two years. But, like, 
maybe you get five in the second year and then two and a half that third year. So you're almost just, you're at least getting protected a little bit there. And if you make that percentage of money that you might have to pay these backs enough, then maybe these teams go, okay, well, why don't we just try to get a deal done here? Because then we can use our franchise tag somewhere else on a position that might not have as long of a tail on it for an injury if they get hurt or something like that. I I just thought of that within the last like 20 minutes. So it might be a horrible idea. I don't know. Again, I haven't ironed out all the details in my head, but that's something I thought about because I don't think they're going to get rid of the franchise tag. I really don't. But if you can somehow put a clause in it to really help out backs and, and you could even, yeah, like I said, make it an injury specific thing, have hard data and evidence to say, look at how devastating this can be for this position if they get hurt on the tag that's not right let's create an injury tail to where they're not only going to get paid that full franchise tag for the year that they signed for it but then they're getting paid maybe 50 percent of it a year after and when i say they're getting paid 50 percent a year after that doesn't mean that they're still on that team that second and third year right they're getting paid that and that's on your cap no matter what even if they were to go sign for another team you have to pay them that amount of money. I think what you're doing is essentially showing why it feels like the NFLPA loses every time we get to the CBA negotiations because my initial thought to that is, it's a great idea, but the money's gotta come from somewhere and it's gonna come from the overall piece of the player's pie, which means other players are losing out financially, right? And the NFLPA, every time they go to the negotiation table is trying to figure out how do we fix, like, 58 different disparate situations so that everybody ends up better. Whereas the NFL is coming at this saying, we have 32 owners and they're all more or less in the exactly the same position. So we just need to make that better, right? It's way easier. Mm -hmm. The NFL PA is trying to figure out how to tie together all these things and getting like one coherent strategy of what everybody wants is impossible. So they just lose because the other side has a clearer example of what they want or a clearer idea. And it's just way easier to fight for that. So, like, the here's where I think the running backs had real problems. Like, Josh Jacobs tweeted out something the other day that was like, it's not about me, it's about, like, the next generation. And you're like, okay, come on now. Like, now you're, now you're going a bit silly. Like, we, we already had sympathy with you. You're in a rough situation. You know, we agree you deserve more money from a sort of uh, ethical standpoint, right? But let's not pretend like you're doing it for the future people as opposed to just trying to get as much money as you can yourself, which everybody agrees you are entitled to. But the problem with that is they're acting like we, as a union, as a running back union, we walk off the job, we strike. That's not going to happen because guys like James Robinson exist. And guys like James Robinson have a lot more of a case for like deserving more money than somebody like Josh Jacobs or Saquon Barkley, who were top five draft picks and have already made a lot of money. James Robinson had a thousand yard season, un, uh, undrafted free agent, had a thousand yard season as a rookie and, you know, has 4.4 yards per carry as a career average, average over three yards per carry after contact. And the man has made two and a half million dollars in his NFL career. James Robinson deserves more money. Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, 
Like, those guys have already had a big rookie deal. They're now objecting to getting a guaranteed sum of $10 million more dollars. Like, the James Robinsons, Philip Lindsays of the world are the guys I have way more sympathy for, like, deserving more money than the likes of Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs. So those guys, like, acting, hey, guys, let's all, let's all do this together. Like, they can sit out a season and, you know, be financially okay. James Robinson has to pick up the phone when somebody calls because the man you know, hasn't got himself and his family set for life for the next X number of years because two and a half million equals, you know, whatever, one and a half million after agents and taxes and blah, blah, blah. Like that man needs the payday in a way these guys don't. So that's what I'm saying is like, it's very, very difficult for anybody to collectively come together and like improve the lot of running backs as a group. The only way anything gets fixed, in my opinion, is if the NFLPA finds a way of making it good for everybody else as well. And the closest thing I can see to that is the franchise tag being taken away. That's at least something they can negotiate for. Now, will it happen? Like the NFL certainly doesn't want that to happen because that exposes quarterbacks to the open market a year earlier, which is like the scariest thing in the known universe to NFL teams. But it's Mm -hmm. at least something that I think the entire PA can argue like together like it's something they can come together with and try and get behind yeah i think that the james robinson point the philip lindsey point you know the career earnings there that's a really good one because we can sit here and and talk about well what do we do for saquon barkley what do we do for josh jacobs what do we do for austin eckler but at the end of the day um you know something with the franchise tag i think could potentially help here uh and i do think the nflpa would have a case because they could present data to where, like I said, this if you wanted to go with this almost injury tail idea for the franchise tag, you could do that for every position. And it could essentially be like tiered percentage-wise for the positions that get hurt the most. Like the ones that don't have a lot of like injury risk to them, it's kind of like insurance, right? If, if you've been injured before or if you are um, prone to injury, whatever, you're going to pay a lot higher of a premium. Like that's going to be higher on the injury tail of whatever this franchise tag deal would might be so it would improve things for every position in the league it would just be kind of tiered and have its percentages where running back would be at the very top but at the end of the day that might help saquon barkley and josh jacobs right that's not going to help james robinson and philip Lindsay. like that is a problem what I keep using the word prop. That is simply the result of the market. That's not going to change. So as much as people might want to get on social media and pound the table and say they should be paid more money, present the option to them. Be like, okay, who are you paying less to? Right. You tell me. And if you would do that at an NFL level with some actual skin in the game, I think you'd probably get to the same place that we are now, unfortunately. There's, it feels like a couple of these, these are terrible analogies because like there's something missing with each one. But it, like when you start thinking about it in terms of like societal level, simply the most sort of quote unquote deserving people don't receive the highest amounts of money in our society, right? Like yeah, oh, yeah, 100%. of billion dollar companies, those are the guys that get all the big bucks. But like teachers, like everybody in the the world over seems to agree that teachers are underpaid relative to what they actually do. They have one of the most important jobs in the world. They educate the next generation, which should in theory improve society across the board. And yet in no country 
does everybody go, yeah, our teacher, I mean, in no country are the teachers amongst the best paid people in society, and almost every single country seems to agree that they're underpaid, right? But something is at work to keep that number down, and they're not, right? And that's, that's the reality of it. Like, and then similarly, there are other jobs that suck. We don't pay people according to how much your job sucks, right? And how hard it is, and how physically demanding it is. Because if there were, like a million jobs out there would be getting paid like millionaires, right? Steel workers or guys on a boat, like grinding through, guys cleaning sewers, like all this kind of stuff. And yet they're not the highest paid people in society because there are other factors at work. So running back might be the toughest position in terms of physicality, how much you're getting injured, all those kinds of things. But the other forces at work here are dictating that they are not the highest paid positions out there. And unfortunately, I think that is just the reality of it. And I'm not sure it's something that has an easy fix outside of these things that can improve the lot of all players across the board. I think the biggest problem is running back in the NFL is simply a diminishing value as a position and as an entity. And if you're at the bad end of that, things are going to go bad. Um, all right, let's move on to uh, the mailbag. But first, Trevor, but first, mm -hmm. if you haven't heard already, and I'm sure you have by now, it's smooth sack summer. When you're playing in the oh, summer sun, I've heard. I, I've make, heard. make sure you're escaped from pubes to bum. That's right. This is the summer to keep your balls cool while still looking hot with Manscaped. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming, they're making sure that we all have a ball this summer by giving our pants partners everything they need to stay fresh. Dive head first into Smooth Sack Summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF. The Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 has everything you need to prepare that summer bod. They've built the ultimate grooming bundle for your summer grooming. Their lawnmower 4.0 trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents, my favorite euphemism in the world, thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The lawnmower 4.0 is a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on-off switch that can engage a travel lock and gives you the ability to turn the 4,000 K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. Did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too? Beach, lake, or shower, this razor will devour even the strongest pubes. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the awesome Shed Travel Bag. Get 20% off with free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. It's smooth sack summer, boys. Get on board or get left behind. Got to say, not just below the waist grooming, but look at that uh, image there. A whole bunch of all-around grooming essentials. The beard trimmer, which I think is pretty phenomenal, um, mm -hmm. and a bunch of their other stuff. Get to manscaped.com. Use the promo code PFF and help us continue to read these glorious promos because nothing, nothing on this show is better than the Manscaped read on a regular basis. I have the beard balm right now. It's actually nice. I've been it's breaking into nice. the uh, the beard oil recently. Um, Ooh, I use the nice. trimmer because like, I'm now... So one of the perils, one of the problems when you're a follically challenged individual, as I currently mm. am... Mm. Um, is you're left with this problem of, all right, you shave the head thing, and that's already a pain in the ass, right? Every week now you gotta have a haircut. So you shave your head, but then you're left like, what do you do here, right? Because now you got this transition between beard and head, 
and there's no hair up here. So you either have to like, well, let's just draw a line and cut it, and that looks ridiculous. Or you have to do some sort of blending thing, which is even more a pain in the ass. But the Manscaped beard trimmer helps you get in, get into that. So I, you know, did the blending, the transition, and then nice. I'm like, you know, a little bit of itch down here. Let's just break out the beard oil and moisturize this whole thing up. It's it's good stuff. And no, it is. It's very good stuff. If you you know, if you're a beard guy out there, Manscaped got you. It's very nice. Mm-hmm. All this is a far cry. You know, the bald beard transition problems from that. Backstreet Boys reject photograph that I sent you before from my... Uh, I don't know about reject photo. That was probably... <laughs> that that actually looked too good, and they were probably like, oh, we can't let this hit the light of day. This looks better than Justin Timberlake does. I'm just saying. I never had to I never had to think about these problems back then, back in the day, when all I had to concern myself with was frosted tips and a fresh face. Anyway, mailbag. Um, so this one's uh, from Peter Spinks, casting back to remember when we did our draft steals uh, show. We each had a top five, and you can probably sense where this is going very early in the email. As an English Eagles fan, uh, mm. I was just waiting to hear Jordan Mylata as number one, and he didn't even get an honorable mention from either of us. Mm-hmm. Franchise left tackle at uh, 233 overall, the seventh round, and I'm meant to be a rugby guy. Uh, he does question whether this is my rugby league bias kicking in, which yeah, is a degree of truth there. Uh, in all seriousness, do we think he's hurt by being compared to the best tackle in football on his own team, Lane Johnson, uh, or is this just love for what Stoutland has made him? Uh, love the show. Keep up the good work. I got to say, uh, personally, I can't speak for you. I'll let you do that in a second, but I I just forgot about Jordan Mailata. He should have been definitely Same. on my list over Charles yep. Leno in particular. Like Every argument I made for Charles Leno makes more sense for Jordan Mailata in the addition yep to my rugby love for the man. So, yeah, we just screwed up on that one. My bad. Yeah, uh, hand up. Totally forgot about Jordan Malata. And I think the point is a very interesting one. When you think about Eagles offensive line, who do you think of? Think of Lane Johnson or you think of Jason Kelsey immediately? And it's just one of the two. You you just think of those two guys. And then I feel as though by nature, because there's not a lot of offensive lines around the NFL that have more than two stud players that are the cornerstone of their identity. I just don't think we naturally flex that to three and talk about how damn good Jordan Mailata is. And that's without even considering his background and how little he's been playing football. So Jordan Mailata absolutely should have made our top fives. Somebody, I can't remember if it was you or somebody else brought that up to me a week ago. And I was like, "Mm, yep, we missed that one. We absolutely missed that one. We should have had Mylotta on there. I think it might have been. Has he been at a pro? Has he made a Pro Bowl yet, Jordan Mylotta? No, no. So when you, I don't think so. So when you search Wikipedia yeah. and you're just scrolling draft classes, that's how I he does up. not get highlighted right. as a seventh round pick. That's exactly how I screwed up. I was using the very blunt tool of Pro Bowl nominations as an indication for NFL success, assuming that if it was going to be wrong, and it will be it would be wrong in the other direction. Like, it will highlight a bunch of players who are like, how did that guy ever make a Pro Bowl? As opposed to a really good left tackle somehow hasn't yet made a Pro Bowl, so we overlooked him. That's exactly what went wrong with my one. We got a few of these emails in as well. I'm not going to spend any time whatsoever in talking about this because, frankly, it's a conversation that's only going to get us into trouble. But when we were uh, talking through the quarterback uh, show, have you watched any more of those episodes, by the way? No, I haven't. I need to get to it. I'm actually about to take a trip um, 
this week and so i'm going to download a couple of episodes and watch them on the plane. nice okay this email from aaron ben uh this is for sam and trevor who discussed whether or not chiropractic uh, is legit or indeed founded in duck noises. Please read the Wikipedia page on the origins of the practice, which boil down to pretty much just a complete misunderstanding of how the human anatomy is built and works. The manipulations and adjustments performed are basically on exactly zero evidence, and studies have shown that they can even be harmful. Sam was right. Trevor and his uncles are wrong. Sorry, bud. I don't know what to tell you. Love from Israel. Uh, Aaron. So multiple people apparently got back in touch to say that chiropractic, chiro- I need to, what the hell is the actual term for what that is? Chiropractic, what, what's the thing? A chiropractitioner, I think is what it's called. Okay. Anyway, apparently that is qu- quackery according to the mailbox. But as I say, that, that feels like a uh, Pandora's box of nightmare that we're not going to get into too much. So instead- The check clears, baby. The check <laughs> clears is what my uncle was saying. <laughs> Uh, so instead, let's focus on this email from, ooh, this is a, I should have, should have, from Robbie. Robbie with a surname that I'm not even going to take a stab at. Hi, right. Sam and Steve, uh, and Trev. Appreciate you and the team pushing such terif- uh, such a prolific output during the summer months. Uh, during one of these shows, can you spend five or ten minutes on the 49ers and the tightrope they are currently walking? I consistently hear them banded around as a top two Uh, team in the NFC and top five in the NFL. But in my 15 years of following the NFL closely, I cannot remember another team with this combination of quarterback, offensive line experience, uh, or sheer number of question marks being so ballyhooed, great word, and I don't understand it. I get that Kyle Shanahan is very good at his job, although I would point to him not being able to win the biggest games, even with a proven quarterback, if I was being cynical. But we are surely reaching the point of too many eggs being placed in that basket. If I were looking to oversimplify, I would ask what puts the 49ers several tiers above a team like the Commanders, for example. The Commanders also have a question mark at QB1. I would argue that QB2 as the advantage uh, Washington. The offensive line is comparable at worst, and the commander's defense cannot be far behind the 49ers. That leaves skill positions, advantage 49ers, and play calling, at which point we're close to saying that the gap between Shanahan and Eric Bieniemy has to be massive to account for the disparate views of the two teams. Note that I'm a Saints fan and don't really have a horse in this race. I'm just keen to understand what makes the 49ers the combination of the 85 Bears and the greatest show on turf, despite showing a lack of certainty at quarterback on or offensive line. I know the range of positive outcomes does involve Purdy and the offensive line being fantastic, but seems to be the default view rather than one equally discussed uh, on the other side of the coin. Hence the question. Love the show, etc., etc. Cheers, Robbie. So... What about it, Trevor? Are we simply falling into the trap of saying the 49ers were really good last year, ergo they are really good this year? I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a trap. Like uh, so, I think Kyle Shanahan is one of the best head coaches in the NFL. I straight up, and I I put him super high on my head coach rankings. I think I had him at like four, and I got so much pushback from people who were like, "How do you have Kyle Shanahan up there?" And I'm like. What are you talking about? Like, Shanahan's had incredible success. Sure, yeah, they choked the Super Bowl and they've choked some other big games, but, like, 
that happens. It's a league where when you get up to the very top, especially when you're playing in the playoffs, the ball bounces one way, and that's the difference between winning and losing. Like, And, and so they've always been right there. I feel like he makes his offenses incredibly efficient and easier than the complex game lends itself to uh, how difficult that it should be or should look with a myriad of different quarterbacks now it feels including mr irrelevant last year who they made him look like a potential like second team all pro guy out of nowhere they've got great skill position players that i think only get better once they get into that system they're used in fantastic ways the offensive line we know has been great the defense has been good and sure that side of the ball isn't like shanahan specialty but also like look at the defensive coordinators and the coaches that Shanahan has been able to put around him and how like everybody not only buys into it, but he feeds off of those guys. He makes them better. He makes him better. Like I just feel like the overall culture that the 49ers have, I seriously take into account when I factor in how good I think this team's going to be. Now I already think they have fantastic playmakers as um, Robbie mentioned the defense is is full of studs everywhere. Of course, they're they're replacing D'Amico Ryan's, but they're plugging in Steve Wilkes, who I think is going to be fantastic with them as well. Who's got plenty of experience in this league. Um, and honestly, if the Panthers weren't looking for an offensive mind, which I they were, I mean, let's face it, I don't think Steve Wilkes was ever going to get that job as the interim head coach when he was in Carolina because. They knew they were going to be drafting a quarterback. They knew they were going to go that direction, and they wanted an offensive mind in there. So I don't think Steve Wilkes ever really got, I don't want to say an honest chance at it, but I just feel like they were always going to lean offense. And unfortunately, that was not Wilkes' expertise. Now he comes over to the 49ers. I think he's going to still be fantastic. The gap isn't, like, I think the question sets up, and Robbie is, I'm not putting this on Robbie, but there's a lot of people who don't believe the, the the Washington Commanders have any chance to be a playoff team next year, and they think that the 49ers automatically do. And I just, the gap's not really that large. Sure, Sam Howell's a massive question mark in the most important position, but as Robbie says, so is what's going on in San Fran, right? With Brock Purdy's injury, and then what's Trey Lance going to be? Um I guess I'll say Sam Donald's name because I, I'm, I'm forced to because he's on the roster, but the gap's really not that big. I just have a lot more faith in what the 49ers have been able to do and what Kyle Shanahan's been able to do over the last couple of years that makes me feel like they understand winning. They understand playoff football. And I think the 49ers division is also easier than the NFC East is, so I think that's certainly a factor when you um, take into account what the commanders have to go up against this year with the Eagles and the Cowboys and the Giants. So I think that those are all the factors that kind of come into my head that make it easier for me to say, okay, even though these two teams have major question marks at quarterback, I have a lot more faith because of what I've seen the 49ers do with a lot of the pieces they already have than the question marks that still exist with the commanders. Like the defense has got to play at an elite level, which they can, but then Sam Howell has got to play really, really well, overplay that draft position, I think the rest of the offense has got to play a lot better too under Bienemy. And Bienemy himself is a little bit of a question mark. What's he going to be outside of Kansas City? What's he going to be outside of Mahomes? And I've been one who's caping for Bienemy to get a shot. So I'm excited that he's going to get it. But there's also a difference between Bienemy getting his shot and Bienemy now having to put in a first time, second year quarterback in the NFL and try to operate an offense under that. So I think it's a lot of word vomit there. <laughs> I don't think. 
there the gap is as wide as Robbie is kind of insinuating it is. But I still have a lot more faith in Kyle Shanahan to be a guy to get it done with less at the quarterback position than I do with what's going on at Washington. And I think that that's just a history thing for me. Yeah, I do think that um, I think there are more question marks about this 49ers team than there typically are for a team that you expect to be an elite contender. So it's easy to just compare the two teams in the NFC because the AFC is insane. It's loaded. There's a million contenders. And the NFC, it basically boils down to this Philadelphia and San Francisco and then everybody else, right? And if you compare the Eagles to the 49ers, like the 49ers have way more question marks than the Eagles do who have, you know, elite uh, offensive skill position players. They don't really have a question at quarterback. They've got one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, and they've got a great defense. The 49ers can't say that about their offensive line. They should be able to say it about, you know, most other things, but they also have a big question mark at quarterback, albeit one that should have an answer to it somewhere on the roster. So it's not necessarily – they're in a weird position that doesn't usually exist in the NFL where they don't necessarily know who their quarterback is, but they probably think it's going to be fine. Usually when you don't know who your quarterback is, it means you have a disaster at the position and you're screwed. The 49ers aren't quite in that position. But you look at the last four years, right? They have won double-digit games three of those four years – the three where Jimmy Garoppolo was the primary quarterback. And in those three seasons, they lost in the Super Bowl and then lost in the NFC Championship game twice, right? So every single year, effectively, where they've had Jimmy Garoppolo as their primary passer um, beyond that first year, they have made the NFC Championship game or better. Uh, and in the year where they didn't, or the years where they didn't, like their primary quarterback was Nick Mullins, who... As, as impressive as he was as a like surprise in that when he first started a game, people were actively upset that they had to watch a game on Thursday night where some dude called Nick Mullins was going to be playing football, like in the end carved up the Raiders and, you know, surprise people. As impressive as he was as a like surprise, I think he's demonstrably worse than a guy like Sam Darnold, who has been a bad NFL starting quarterback so far. And Darnold is theoretically the worst of the three quarterback options that the 49ers have to turn to. So if they get Brock Purdy back like he was last year, they've upgraded over Jimmy Garoppolo. If they get Brock Purdy back with regression, with injury lingering hangovers, it may be a wash. You know, and if they have to turn to Trey Lance, like they drafted Trey Lance because they thought he could be better than Jimmy Garoppolo. So generally, I think this Garoppolo baseline should be about what they're targeting and that seems to propel them to a championship game every time they have that with Kyle Shanahan as their coordinator, and they've never had better skill position players, et cetera, et cetera. So, yes, I think there are questions about this roster that aren't normally there for a team with that much hype around them, but there's a lot of reasons that they, they will probably get in that kind of like direction again, right? I kind of still feel like the 49ers' best quarterback option is Lance. But, I mean, maybe that's naive of me at this point because if Trey Lance was the quarterback that I maybe think that he can be, he probably would have grabbed that starting job by the horns, right. if you will. So, like, I fully I fully admit that that could be the case, but I'm also somebody who I'm still skeptical that Purdy can be what he was last year full-time. Like, sure. that's just who Brock Purdy is now. So I'm a little skeptical of that. So... 
because of that, I still believe in the ceiling of Trey Lance being the best option for the 49ers and him just kind of figuring it out. But I'm also not there every day at practice, and the coaches are, and I feel like if he was the guy that I believe that he is, we'd probably only be talking about him right now. So I'm, I am a little bit worried about that take, even though I've got to be honest, that's that's how I feel. A little uh, a little unprompted plug, by the way. If you've listened or if you listen to the Athletic Football Show, uh, Jordan Rodrigue, friend of the show, has a series called Play Callers on there right now. It's five or six episodes where she dives into the kind of lives and the coaching lives of, you know, all these young Shanahan coaching tree type uh, head coaches right now. And I think if you're one of these people, and I agree with you, there's a lot of them who really push back hard on Shanahan being good. Um, This show gives a real interesting insight into just how smart and how good at all this stuff Kyle Shanahan is, as told to you by a lot of these other guys, right, who are, you know, the Sean McBays, Mike McDaniels, um, Matt LaFleur, uh, Robert Sala, like all these guys are talking about how insane Kyle Shanahan is and was and how, like, I was just listening to the first episode on the way in this morning and Matt LaFleur was saying, you know, he's like a month older than Kyle Shanahan or something. And when he first got the job in Washington, I think, where Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator, he was like, this guy's a month younger than me. Like, how can he know that much about football? And sort of talk, you know, sat down with him, talked with him a bit, and immediately was like, "Oh wow!" Like he, Kyle Shanahan is on a different level. Like it made Matt Lafleur realize how much he had to learn talking to this guy. And there's a lot of interesting stuff about how he sort of spent time on both sides of the ball, which was how he sort of went from Mike Shanahan Denver offense to what he does right now is sort of tying it together and understanding how to attack both sides of the ball. It's a really interesting sort of series worth your time to uh, to listen to. I'm going to see if we can get Jordan on the show to talk about it a little bit uh, sometime in the next week or two. Um, but go listen to that. It's fascinating. And I think that will help you understand how freaking amazing Kyle Shanahan is as a coach. Jordan does amazing work. I Absolutely. Have, I have to start that series. And you saying it has reminded me because when she started posting it and everybody started tweeting about it, about how good it was. I was like, okay, okay, okay. I gotta, I gotta bookmark this. I gotta listen to this. But it was one of those things where in that exact moment, I didn't have the time to do it. So I was like, okay, I'll do it. So you reminded me to go do it. And that's absolutely something I'm going to do this week. Cause Jordan is a phenomenal interviewer. And I, I've, I can only imagine how good this this little five six P series is going to be. So I got to listen to it too. Yeah, I'm only an episode in, but already it's uh, it's pretty fascinating stuff. So everyone, go listen to that, check it out, and we'll see if we can get Jordan on the show to talk about it. But that's been the show today, July the 24th, the uh, the birthday of me. Um, Steve will be back. I promise. I promise he'll be back on Wednesday and Thursday this week. That's that's the information that I have been given so far. So if it doesn't happen, it's his fault, not mine. But uh, Trev. You've, uh, your company's been a pleasure. You filled it admirably. Uh, thanks for showing up. It's a, it is an honor and a privilege to share the mic and the screen with you here on this, the day of your birth, Sam. So appreciate <laughs> it, man. Happy birthday once again. Thank you, Trevor. And thank you all so much for listening. We will be back on uh, Wednesday and Thursday. Take it easy. <laughs>